Let's head now, though, to South America. A couple of stories for us to consider uh, from that part of the world with John Bonfiglio, who is our man uh, in Mexico, and joins us uh, on Talk TV this morning. John, hello. Always nice to have you on. Hey, Daryl, how are you? Yeah, I'm really, really well. Um, a couple of important stories for us to get to. I wonder if we could start with one that's um, uh, that's been breaking in the last sort of couple of... Uh, in the last day or so, and that is uh, from Brazil. I might just throw this on you a little bit, uh, John, so forgive me if you're not across it, but um, uh, but you usually are, aren't you? You usually are, my friend. If it's happening <laughs> no in your... I have no idea where you're going with this, but let's, let's go. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, if, you're, uh, if it's happening in your part of the world, you're usually all over it, so let's, um, let's, let's hope so. Uh, a serious story. Brazil uh, has recorded uh, a death from monkeypox. It's the first death, along with a death in Spain, of monkeypox from outside... Uh, Africa. Um, your reflections, John, if you will, on the the, the spread of monkeypox in, in South America, but also, um, you know, a story that we've talked about a bit around COVID, and that's the health infrastructure in a place like Brazil and the ability to cope with, grapple with, get hold of the spread of our virus. Yeah, for sure. And as we've seen and experienced globally recently, but for sure in, in countries and regions which have limited infrastructure, health infrastructure, these things can get out of hand pretty quickly. And for sure, the, the news story is the first death, well, the first two deaths outside of Africa, Spain and Brazil, um, a man reported dead um, yesterday. But the more serious uh, statistic there is that there are over a thousand confirmed infections and another suspected 500 confirmed infections there too. So uh, obviously we've seen, as I say, an incremental spread of another um, virus recently and it certainly seems as though you know monkeypox has uh, burst its banks if you like and it is everywhere now and for sure i guess a little bit like with uh you know with the aids virus in, in the 80s part of the the worry is in a health context is that we all think oh this doesn't affect us you know this is part of a niche group and so on a high at-risk group but actually you know for sure it's it's certainly making the the, the news here and is also leading to social problems and schisms and discourse as well. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind that Latin America is a very conservative Catholic continent on the whole. And you can imagine some of the narratives and some of the discourses that are taking place around monkeypox, which so far has been predominantly affecting the at-risk community of men who have sex with, with other men. So that's definitely leading to, you know, an ongoing series of, of social ructions uh, regionally. And, and very reminiscent, and, and uh, they echo, John, don't they, the, the, the horrible, awful discourse that surrounded HIV uh, and AIDS, uh, in, in, uh, which I, I, I plenty lived through. Um, um, uh, OK, um, let's talk about Mexico as well, if we can. And uh, we'll keep an eye on that story with monkeypox, of course, and, and, and return to it when it's significant to do so. But in Mexico, John, you've been keeping your eye on... Um, uh, on a, on a, a, a natural issue, but that has you know, real consequences for the infrastructure there, and that is uh, droughts. Yeah, droughts and, and water tables and the lowering of water tables. But I think, you know, this has obviously you know, been going on for a long time. I mean, Mexico City famously has less and less water, buses in water now, you know, to many businesses and, and buildings and so on. And it's something which has been going on for maybe sort of 15, 20 years, but it's getting worse and worse. But the issue at the moment, which is really becoming quite feverish, is the fact that um, lots of communities are up in arms about the fact that the, the organizations and the businesses that have access to clean water, which they don't, are the likes of your Coca-Cola and your Heineken and so on, 
but are tapping into groundwater, into clean groundwater, and are actually flooding um, the, the market, if you like, with, with produce, which is way more expensive than, uh, than water. So you've got communities around the country that have scant access to clean water, but that uh, have little choice but to consume other products that are, that, are, that are pushed into their laps. Also worth saying that, you know, I think there is a second part to this crisis, if you like, in the sense that Mexican communities and, and Mexican civil society has for a long time now really been highly dependent and addicted to fizzy drinks. Highest uh, consumption per capita of fizzy drinks internationally in the state of Chiapas in the south of Mexico, you have a consumption of 1.5 liters of Coke per adult per day wow. on average, which leads to, you know, it's not just an ecological and environmental crisis in terms of the, the, the tapping of, of groundwater for big business and for profit, but is also obviously a social and health crisis. I mean, if you, I, I was looking at um, diabetes stats before between Mexico and the, and the UK. UK on average has about a 7%. No, fluctuates a little bit, but on average, 7% of the uh, UK population in any given year will have diabetes. In Mexico, it ranges between 16 and 20%. Wow. So three times the number of people in Mexico have diabetes. And of course, when you then have something like uh, the, the pandemic that comes in, we, we know that the pandemic uh, affects, again, groups that are already have you know, pre-existing conditions. And diabetes would be and hypertension and so on and various other things caused by by high sugar intake um you know are, are absolutely affected by that to some extent there is government pushback on on this uh, not just in terms of rhetoric and, and and law passing but for example the another southern state of, of oaxaca uh, last year passed a law by which it was illegal for children to buy sweets and fizzy drinks so basically pushing uh, sugary products into the same shopping bracket as cigarettes and alcohol for under 18s which is a really interesting decision for them to make right blimey wow that is absolutely extraordinary 1.5 liters per adult per day john that's just yep. absolutely extraordinary what 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 i mean that's i guess there's there's, lo there's lots in play there and, and the addictive nature of those products will be you know speaks for itself doesn't it i suppose but what why well but it's also access i mean i've been in communities where there is no uh, clean water available and but uh, amazingly you know, with with the systems that we that we live in but you get satellite tv and you get coca-cola bust into these systems because a profit is made in those contexts but the but government has scant infrastructural funding to be able to actually to to, to take clean water or generate process in those systems so uh, and i think also there is a, a an aspect of modernity in this as well i mean these these communities and these these families remember not being able to throw anything away at all i mean to some extent still that still is the case because of you know bog standard poverty so suddenly you get disposable items coming in you get your cokes and your pepsis and your and your beers in disposable containers and so on and and and, and that feels like progress so there is also a kind of a pride to picking up a coke bottle and drinking it and throwing it away and so on really interestingly i mean obviously you know soccer Football here is really big in, in Latin America. I know, you know, obviously a big day for England today, tomorrow as well, against Germany in, in, in the UK. But here it's really interesting because here, when, before a game, groups of uh, guys and, 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 and women will get together and will say that the losers will pay for the drinks. But the drinks is always, they will actually name it. They say, you know, we'll go and get the Coke. It's, it's actually a named thing that the losers go and buy 
the Coca-Cola, the, the spread and the reach of companies like Coca-Cola. I mean, just with the stat, you know, aforementioned is, is absolutely remarkable, continent-wide, but in Mexico in particular. Wow, that is absolutely extraordinary. Mexico is hooked on fizzy pop, and for all of those reasons, that's it absolutely... It really is. Wow. It is. Um, incredible. Um, okay. Um, in terms of the sort of drought uh, element and, and the access to clean water, is there a, is there is there any light? I mean, you know, the issue of Mexico being a dry country is well documented, as you say, busting in lots of water, it becoming a problem that's intensifying. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Policy, public health, you know, kind of uh, uh, direction of travel that suggests that that may get, get any better. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point because that's a popular misconception. Mexico isn't really that dry a country. Right. It is dry for certain parts of the year, but for other parts of the year, I mean, at the moment we are in, you know, in the, in the wet season, which is quasi-monsoon-like. Every afternoon and evening you get heavy uh, rains and, and thunderstorms and so on, and those fill the reservoirs. And reservoirs tend to be public access, so those are pretty well protected. But as happens with, with oil in the seabed and so on, what then happens is that private wells get tapped into those um, into those reservoirs and, and water gets taken out of those as well. And that then begins to, to affect uh, everybody and so on. So I, I think public policy is playing catch up a little bit on it, but always with these, with government and uh, these, these, these countries and public policy, they're a bit stuck because on the one hand, they think, uh, you know, legislation is uh, determined to do something about it and then keep public property public you know, for the average citizen but on the other hand there's also you know the common discourse based around private enterprise and jobs and so on and you know fundamentally the likes of uh, your heineken and your coca-cola and your pepsi and uh, and so on uh, are massive employers so there's big pressure on the on the government from them also not to not to necessarily do anything too serious about it mm. well um okay um, can we talk about Venezuela and uh, uh, and Colombia just briefly? This is a, an important uh, political story and some diplomatic ties that have been re-established this week. Yeah, really interesting because you know some of the big flashpoints over the course of the last few years have been between Venezuela, uh, famously left-wing, something of a pariah state under uh, Hugo Chavez and, and now Nicolas Maduro, and historically Colombia, which was a big ally to uh, to the U.S., in particular, recently under Ivan Duque, but which has just elected its first leftist president in its in its history, and the skirmishes around that border, which were a real flashpoint, and have over the course of a, a number of years now actually led to, to direct confrontations, but also even led to fears of war between the two countries, because on the one hand, Colombia accuses Venezuela of hiding dissident militant groups on its side of the border, and Venezuela has accused Colombia of uh, of, of hiding Venezuelan dissidents on the other side of the border uh, and with both making incursions. So there's been this really uneasy situation playing out over over a few years, but now that the left-wing president has, has come in, I'm not sure that he is necessarily Nicolas Maduro's you know, natural ally. They are both the left, but they're very different figures. Uh, but they have said they are essentially uh, establishing diplomatic relations once again after August 7th when, uh, when Gustavo Petro, the the incoming Colombian president comes into into power, and so you will have for the first time in years embassies in each country and direct links and relationships okay. between the two of them. And that's a big deal. I mean, especially when you think about uh, the number of Venezuelans, uh, somewhere between uh, a fifth and a third of Venezuelans that have left the country 
in the last five-year period, the vast majority have gone, of whom have gone into Colombia, putting massive pressure on the social infrastructure, social and economic infrastructure of that country and so on. So the very least that those two countries need to be doing is talking and work, working together on policy in order to, to deal with what has been the biggest human movement in Latin American history. Right, right. Uh, John, as ever, uh, insightful and articulate and really, really fascinating. Um, always good to talk to you, John. We'll do it again soon. Thank you. Take care. You too. Uh, John Bonfiglio, who is in uh, Latin America for us in Mexico tonight uh, with a couple of really interesting stories and key stories that uh, I think we'll be hearing again, actually. Um, okay, uh, that's our International News Hour wrapped up. International News Hour and 15 minutes also.